0: Welcome to yelling at the screen. Ah! <laughs> I don't know how he does it. That was, that was really good. Yeah, I was. I love that. <laughs> Did I scare anybody? I'm so scared. Ah! Ah! Welcome to episode 28. We're covering Scott Derrickson's 2012 film, Sinister, brought to us by our good man, Caleb. Yes, sir. Caleb, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you chose this film and yes, a little please. bit about your first time watching this movie.
1: Please do.
0: <laughs> yeah, Colin. I'm, I'm curious. curious. Here we go. <laughs> is this going to be Black Bear all over again, Colin? Is, is that
1: Oh, is no, 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 no. Sorry, I'm so I, Okay. Viewers, I'm so sorry. I led you to believe that I was about to take a giant poo turd shit all over the. Oh crap! I cursed uh, too early into the podcast. Now we won't get monetized <laughs> on YouTube. I, I, that I'm going to take a fat gnarly poo poo turd on this film. Don't worry, it's just a regular sized poo poo turd. <laughs> uh. And I wouldn't even. It, and it's more like a like a sliver of diarrhea. You know, like the wet poos that aren't quite solid, that aren't, it isn't quite
0: diarrhea. Okay, we're getting too
2: specific about All right, now that Caleb's got that imagery in his head, he can tell
0: (laughs) us a little bit about his first experience in time watching Sinister. Yeah, like kind of like the
1: stew chunky poos that you take sometimes. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about?
2: Welcome to Yelling at the Screen, where we describe (laughs) in great detail your, your. Bowel movements. Email us. Email us. We're all big John Waters
0: fans here. What do you guys expect? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, all right, Caleb. I'll ask one more time and then Colin gets okay. to have the mic. <laughs> yeah. wow. Tell us a little bit about your first time watching Sinister and what that experience was like. Actually, this is kind of funny. A pseudo research article
2: was sent to me by someone about a study that was done to discover what the biggest like jump scares were in, in movies oh. using like a very small sample size it's I think not I like remember a you sharing this with me. super yeah. like corroborated accredited like it's not it's just kind of like a pseudo study you know and it put sinister as having like the number one jump scare uh, which is interesting. And so I was like, I got to check this out, and also I was—it was like right before or right after I was watching um, the what's the trilogy called that Ethan Hawke's in,
0: the Before trilogy. The yeah, the the,
2: the that Richard the before Linklater trilogy. did, yeah, yeah. So I was excited to continue uh, looking at Ethan Hawke's work, and I wasn't let down by Ethan Hawke. I thought I, I don't, I don't know though I. I I, I I will be. I feel like he's in a lot of movies that I haven't seen yet. So, but anyway, so that was how I discovered watching Sinister. And it intrigued me upon my first viewing because of the use of the old film projector uh, machine to the
1: Super 8 machine. The, yeah,
2: this the, the yes, yeah, Super 8 as a part of the storytelling in the same vein as Black Bear, it's kind of using the art form to Tell a story to create a world, and I like that a lot. And I want to talk Blech. about oh, oh, that sorry. at some point
0: and let Colin puke on it. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Oh, Colin man. going full 120 days in solo this episode. Aye, yeah, yeah. Well, Colin, now that Caleb's given us a bit of an update on his first encounter with the Scott Derrickson film Sinister, why don't you tell us about? Cause you had your first viewing of this film recently. You had it with your good buddy. <laughs>
1: with my good buddy boy, I certainly did.
0: That—that's me for the record. If you're, you're taking notes at home, <laughs> all right,
1: everyone. I absolutely loved this movie. I'm just kidding. It was a okay. <laughs> um.
0: It's <laughs> <sounded> so defeated. <laughs>
1: I'm just kidding. No, okay. Look, here's the deal. <laughs> <Jeez>. My encounter <laughs> with this movie. So Is as follows. I was the entire time. I'm sitting there like, oh man, this is kind of cool. Like I, I kind of like this. You know, this is this is pretty cool. I'm I'm okay. And then, the wife would appear on screen. Oh God! And I'd (laughs) go, Oh Lord, here we go. Oh Lord, I'm British, therefore I am. mm, Uh, I hated it. I hated her, dude. I really did. She's Wait, a dummy. Wait, you
2: hated her because she's British? Like what? What? No, I
1: didn't hate her because she was British, Caleb. Yeah, I don't understand
2: why you hate her though. It didn't. That's how it came across to me.
1: Look, man, I'll go into more detail about why she's such a big dumb, 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 dummy. But I'll uh, I'll save it honestly though i didn't hate it i i enjoyed it i i did get spooped. this movie is uh spoopy i will give it that it gets a at least a six out of ten on the spoopiness rating scale is so, spoopy like you're spooked so much that you pooped your pants uh well you kinda, spoopy I, with yeah, a p at, yeah, the, sp- at the end Yeah, spoopy you never heard spoopy
0: it's spoopy.
1: No? P- Caleb is spoopy. It's a spoopy movie.
0: Khan gets to define the idea of spoops. <laughs> I can't believe you've never heard spoopy before. <laughs> Today on Khan <Con> Explains Memes. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs>
1: it's so spoopy. Anyway, uh, it did have some spoops. I jumped scared, didn't I, Jack? I peed. I peed a little
0: just a little there were some jumps to be had i was with colin when we watched it and it you was, know, I was i was definitely frightened i was i, scared. I was, was scared once or I twice i was nervous. oh no i think the best part about watching this with colin was there's a point probably like the second sequence where things are going bump in the middle of the night and ethan hawks walking around the house and ethan Hawk just looks up and he hears the bumps come from above in the attic and i'm just clenching my teeth like you know fingers in my mouth I'm like nah, 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 nah. and colin's like jack Jack. And I was like, what is it, Colin? And Colin's like, look above you. And above the couch I was sitting on was Colin's attic. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and that scared me very much. Dang, That's the ultimate jump that. scare voted by that research. I totally <laughs> forgot attic. about It was really that. funny.
1: That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot.
0: Oh, wow. Anyways, Colin, I didn't mean to interrupt your, your initial thoughts kind of talking about this movie. You can keep going. All right. Well, I will say this the lighting
1: dude oh boy oh boy oh boy i think someone maybe maybe got some tips from bright
2: This came out before Bright. This came uh, out
1: <laughs> Well, then Bright got some tips from this. <laughs> dude, what was going on, Caleb? I mean, goodness gracious. Yeah. One of my
2: it notes was... actually, Colin, was I literally wrote down, interrogate Colin about comment, was the lighting
0: crew of Bright inspired by this film? <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> we all three have. Bright has done so much to this podcast. It's just influence on such a level, shaking us to our core spiritually we've been united by the power of david ayer's bright it's just will smithy did it. it's incredible <laughs> wow look man the, br-
1: the lighting the lighting is just bad but to this movie's credit when the light or when the spoopy parts are supposed to be spoopy it is nice i do the spoopy parts are spoopy uh, and the lighting works in its favor there but i gotta tell you i personally do not need low-level lighting uh, when <laughs> when they're just talking in a room. Like, I don't need that. Just put on some, some background lights. Put on some front facers.
0: <laughs> I don't know, man. Now, on Colin's point, I remember when Colin and I were watching together during the first dinner scene where they were talking about the move and new schools and all that good honky-dory stuff. I remember Colin looked at me and he said, man, this dinner scene is just poorly lit. It's just very dark, and... I, I'm proud of Colin because he used to give me crap for being the guy who's like, "Oh, yeah, i not that good." And now look at Colin; he's he's joined the team. Awesome! <laughs> yeah, I'm now I'm complaining right along with you about gone. that gosh darn lighting, dude.
1: It, it like there were just points that it was unacceptably low, where scary stuff was supposed to be happening, and I was not scared because I it was just a black screen. I even like got up and turned off background lights that i thought maybe this is causing a glare of some kind that's the kind of bad that the movie was op. or the, Watch the kind of calling.
0: i watched this with nine lamps on <laughs> i'm, just kidding, I'm but, just kidding but
1: like i i seriously we i like i was like jack is is it our tv like is my tv messed up and that and if i have
0: to ask is my tv messed up I feel like well, there's something wrong. We On that TV, Colin, you and I and some other friends watched David Fincher's Zodiac, which is also a very dark movie, and that movie, I think, looked a lot cleaner and crisper and definitely had a clearer quality to how they were filming those images than anything out of Sinister. And maybe it's not fair for me to compete poor old Derrickson against Fincher, but I, I definitely don't think it was your TV or the ambience or setting of the room. That That's definitely not the case. If you're okay with it, Colin, I might briefly move on to my first impression with this film and then we'll have Caleb kind of open up the floor for some further discussion and then we can Oh yeah, we're definitely coming back to that. <laughs> just, <laughs> good good just so you know. <laughs> One thing I want to say about this film cuz I'm kind of I'm kind of middle ground on this film. I I'm not 100% sure how I feel about it yet. I wasn't crazy about it, but I don't think it's a bad movie and I think for me where a film like Sinister is great for podcast discussion is because a lot of the things I liked about it can almost compliment and commentate on the things I dislike about it. Because when you ask me, okay, Jack, what makes Sinister a good movie? My answer is, it's gotta be those Super 8 tapes, the footage. The idea of Ethan Hawke sitting down, he's in his attic, it's dark, he's watching these scary, creepy, haunting footage. This is the film. And you think more about the setting and the scenario... And little things kind of add to that experience. For example, you never really see Ethan Hawke's character leave the house. Oh, yeah, and no, it, he doesn't. He stays
1: on property the whole time. Well,
0: like in with, the third with act, the obviously notable obviously there's exception. stuff that pushes them, them off. Yeah, As far as from when they move into the house to the big kind of third act inciting incident, he's pretty much in that house the whole time. You never see him go to his kid's school. You never see him at the grocery store. You never see him at the police station. And there's almost something about how they chose to frame that setting that almost makes the haunted house vibes even more spooky, which I really appreciated. I agree. That well, being said... Oh, go ahead, Colin. Oh, no, you you say. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you, good You're sir. Welcome, You're welcome, so man. You're so... Tap my hat to you. I mean, put on a second hat to tap. Oh, no, put on third The ghost of my attic's coming down to tap. So, that being said, the problem with this kind of enhanced idea of, oh, it's so scary because you're trapped in the house with him, you almost kind of notice some of the routine quirks of it all. Because when you really break down the screenplay, when you really break down the story structure, it's Ethan Hawke finds Scary Tape, Ethan Hawke watches Scary Tape, Ethan Hawke talks to a third party about Scary Tape, then it's nighttime... Spooky shenanigans happen. Rinse and repeat. That basically happens three or four times throughout the whole movie. That is wow. That is uh, that is true. Good job. And I'm Jack. not. I want to. I want to clarify. I want to. I want to be the guy who says that is not why this is a bad film. It's just because I was so quick and able to recognize the pattern. It almost lost me a little bit, if, if that makes sense. Well, it does Jack, make sense. It, it
1: makes perfect sense. You know, Jack. I have a comment here uh, about patterns so you were uh you were with it you were savvy enough to pick up on the pattern of what you just said finds a tape watches tape shows tape spooky spooky poopy pants right you have proven that you are far more uh human-like and intelligent than the wife in this movie who has not noticed the pattern That Ethan Hawke keeps moving into houses that are haunted.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for everybody's favorite segment of Yelling at the Screen. Colin Fleetwood, our wife guy, gets to talk about wives. Let's talk about Ethan (laughs) Hawke's wife in this movie. Look, dude, here's the deal.
1: There's a line early on in this movie... Where the wife is like, oh, we're so happy that we moved into this house. And then, and then, when the cop, when the sheriff comes, and he's like, hey, Ethan Hawke, you shouldn't be in this house. It's it, it's an evil house. How dare you? You're gonna just use the tragedy that happened in this town as a way to write your book. Grrr. And also, we didn't miss anything in our investigation. Oh, by the way, Sheriff, you super, super did. And it's super, super obvious. And you should, in fact... Be ashamed of yourself, but that's beside the point, because 'cause I'm a I'm a grumpy small town sheriff. And then when Ethan Hawke's wife is all like, "Oh, honey, what was that about?" And then Ethan Hawke's like, "It was nothing, dear. Don't worry. Uh, he's just telling us about the house and and uh, previous time, or whatever he says." And then the wife's like, "Oh well, as long as we didn't move into a crime scene again." And then I immediately paused <laughs> the movie and I was and I looked at Jack and I said, "Again, freaking again." She trusted him to not do this. So she's fallen for this whole moving into a crime scene house at least once. And they've moved like three times. So that means there is a distinct possibility that this wife has fallen. Oh, honey, not this time. Not We're not moving into a crime scene house this time. Okay, honey, I believe you. I know you lied to me the last two times, but this time is different.
2: And All right, there, Cole. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you because I'm time I'm throw for Caleb's rebuttal. I'm gonna throw a flag on the play here. Okay. <laughs> the
0: flags are being thrown.
2: Having read that comment that you made as you were watching it, uh huh, and then rewatching Sinister, okay. I think you're wrong. Oh, um, okay. And here's here's how I interpreted their dynamic: the wife and Ethan Hawke is. They previously lived in places where he was investigating, writing about, true, about true, true, true crime, but they weren't living in the houses. What was such a big deal about moving into this new house was that she knew that there was, a, there was something that he was writing about and he might have gotten a big deal off of, but she didn't know that it was that house that they, that they were moving into. And that was part of the argument at the end towards in the third act, or as the third act begins, Do- is, okay. why didn't you tell me we were in this house? That is different than being near it or being in the same town as it.
1: All right. Well, Caleb, I have a counter-counter argument okay. proving that this wife is still an idiot. So okay. the counter-counter argument. Here, here comes the counter-counter argument. All right. In order to move into a house, uh, one, in theory, has to do a fair amount of research, okay? True. And I don't care if you're a stay-at-home, do-nothing wife, which I don't remember if she has a job, but, you know, whatever. If she is, cool. She's raising the two kids. But here's the deal, man. How did she not know this was a crime scene house? They're required by law right. to tell you that it's a crime scene house when they list yeah. it. And yeah, she yeah. didn't know. Did she? And, and you know what? If you say, well, she wasn't involved in the buying process, you know what I will say? That's even stupider <laughs> because she's trusting Ethan Hawke, who clearly doesn't have very good money management skills. Because sure. <laughs> if he is famous enough to be recognized on site as an author – he is holding in cash. God, Colin. Okay? Oh, yeah. He yeah. is <laughs> loaded. So clearly he's made some financial boo-boos in the past. I'm just saying, man, this marriage should have been ended and then years
2: before. Something I didn't understand was, was that, like, the tree still had, like, the branch hanging yes, where it was Yes, exactly. Cut. Like, that would have dude, been clean. Aren't up. you wondering, like, hey, so, like, what happened to the tree here? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, man, it almost looks like this limb was cut off in a very weird saw-like torture scenario. Hmm. (laughs) I'm sorry, I have to do it British. Hmm.
0: Ladies and gentlemen (laughs) of the jury, as many of you know, I don't always agree with Colin. That's been well-documented on this podcast. There have been some very... Strong contrast between our ratings on certain films, aka Song to Song, aka Thor Ragnarok, yada, yada, yada. Let's go.
1: AKA on. Arrival.
0: Oh, yeah, Arrival. Also Arrival. Can't but forget. But here's the deal. Oh, we'll get back to Arrival. Don't you oh, worry. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I gotta give Colin some credit. I've bashed on Colin for texting and playing games during movies before, but I gotta give Colin some credit. He did a good job of kind of analyzing the dialogue and the screenplay with this film, and he pointed out a lot of things that. I wouldn't really have recognized. And when I say that, I mean within the first 20, 30 minutes. Maybe later into the film, I probably would have picked up on it, because I actually, on the topic of Ethan Hawke's wife's character, <laughs> I kind of put a note in my phone saying, this wife be dumb.
1: <laughs> hey, take that, Caleb. Counter-counter-argument.
0: Well, I, I, and finished. I'm not trying to say that the whole freaked-out, paranoid, scared-wife trope is necessarily... A mark against this film.
1: No, it's not. But
0: considering how so much of kind of the emotional core is about the dynamic of the family, it does feel a little. I think a weaker critic would say tropey, but I just think it never really goes anywhere that really captured me on a pathological.
2: Yeah, level. and I hear me saying that I, I'm not arguing against her being a weaker character or a weaker written character or acting. I'm arguing against the interpretation of why are they at this house what is their history together in crime scene houses that's what i was all right counter enough so I she's think, not she I hasn't think been we needed duped. a stronger actress to really sell the dynamic or the troubled dynamic between that family
1: i um, also think that they needed just generally better writing the dialogue between any characters in this movie Oh boy, it was dialogue like from screenwriting 101 style dialogue. In my opinion. Jack, didn't you kind of agreed with
0: me there, didn't you? It's very much, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, it's that weird middle ground of it's not really campy enough silly enough to where you kind of enjoy the silliness, the whole wacky nature of it all. It's the classic, you get the scare, you go, ah, and then you turn the ah around and go, ha. Ah. But then it's also, thank you, Colin, thank you. But then it's, I'm trying to remember who I stole that from. I definitely stole that from someone. But anyways, the flip side of that is you get the very self-serious, like, there's ghosts here and they're going to kill us all, and this is really dark stuff. And the film never really hits one or the other in a very strong stride. It's that awkward middle-brow filmmaking that I don't think is going to age really well. Because Sinister is very much the type of movie I see why it was a hit, why it was very successful when it first came out. But I'm also not surprised that I haven't seen it on a lot of best of lists or a lot of well-regarded loved horror films of the decade list. I think other filmmakers and studios would come along, even um, because Blumhouse did this, Jason Blum and them. They they did this film, right? I think they made this film. Yeah, they produced it. Uh, I just think when you compare it to other horror movies, like your hereditaries or your get outs, your quiet places which are films that i'm not even that crazy about i don't think this film hits the same kind of memorable beats or writing or storytelling that those films are going for
1: i think all of the horror elements of this film like the parts that were circulating specifically around trying to spoop me i thought those were really well done with, like, one or two exceptions at the beginning of the movie. I thought those were really well done. But just about everything else in the movie, like the dialogue, the lighting, the the general writing, uh, man, it, it just kind of fell a little bit short. But, like, that said, the horror elements were so good that I'm probably going to give this movie a slightly inflated... Number rating, or star star rating, just based on those spoopy, the, the parts that yeah,
0: created a little brown spot in my trousers. I, I'm kind of on the same page with Colin here. I think there's very effective scenes of horror, very high quality. But I think the overall story, the overall package, the overall film you get has a lot of areas that could use you know a rewrite or use a second look. I think there's some really strong stuff going on with the Super 8 footage and those scenes of Ethan Hawke viewing the scary tapes and those horror elements. Even the concept idea of horror being trapped in a footage and image is really cool and compelling. I just think a lot of the stuff that has to do with the family's dynamic or the cops or the research or Ethan Hawke's personal journey, it never really quite hit the same stride for me. Sure, Caleb, see that. we've been weaker. talking.
1: Yeah, we've been talking a lot, Caleb. Defend this film. Okay, yeah, I'm going to circle back a bit
2: to Ethan Hawke, the lighting, and the house specifically, because what I noticed on this rewatch was the darkness was always in the house, right? Like, it, and largely around Ethan Hawke, maybe even the kids. When the wife's there, like it's a little brighter. There's a little bit more of a more lighting used because when I first read your comment, Colin, about you know was Bright influenced by the lighting here, I was like, well, the thing with Bright is is that it was always dark, like near hundred percent dark the entire time. Whereas this has the contrasting light intentionally placed in certain scenes and I and for me I I read it as this house has this ominous like presence and that's because of the um, ancient Babylonian god that is terrorizing the kids and trying to get them to come into the into into his fold essentially so like that's kind of how I read that and saw how the lighting was used to complement that kind of world building and storytelling and even with Ethan Hawke like he had a lot of the times, he was surrounded by darkness. Even in the scene where they're fighting, where where he and his wife are fighting, he's sitting behind the dresser in the shadow of the dresser, while she's like standing out with the sun like beaming through through like the window on her. So like there was this interesting contrast that was happening between them. I think it could have been better in the writing because it's not as. I think y'all are right about the writing as it needs need needed a, maybe a second or third pass, someone to take a different
1: look at it. I'm glad that you at least see that. And I don't know. I think that a lot of the set pieces of this film, like that opening, mm-hmm. I, I'll say this. That opening when all it shows is the Super 8 footage of the tree limb getting cut. And, and there's like no music. yeah, yeah nothing. Yeah. Oh boy, man, that was chilling. yeah. and you and you just watch you watch them die. I mean, it's it's horrific. Like it really is whoa, capital H horrific. And that's an element of the film that I think is very well done. Mm-hmm. I think that they're overall and and ooh, the 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 first murders, the where they pull the chases into the pool incredible which these in in the lawnmower oh man they were all like there were so many elements of this film that i was like dude this is so this is rad i i you know i like this a lot
0: now let's talk about the lawnmower real quick because if i were to take a guess at that scene caleb was talking about with that list or research he read i bet it's the lawnmower scene isn't it caleb
2: i don't know they didn't specify it just said in this list this is the one with like where people's heart rates were faster like throughout the movie
0: Dang, that's wild. Like, <laughs> that is kind of wild, dude. Yeah. I actually I hate to say it, but you know, I'd be I'd be on Twitter too much. That's just how it is. And and I've had that lawnmower scene spoiled for me. Part of it was because Sinister is not exactly a film that was very, very high on my watch list at all. So thank you, Caleb, for getting me to watch a film I otherwise might have skipped. <laughs> I had seen the lawnmower scene just somewhere online, and I remember really being into it. I was very compelled by that idea of you're just watching a spooky dark tape and then all of a sudden, boom, something horrific happens. Kind of like Colin's talking about with the other examples. So I can definitely see why so many people love that scene or love the whole spooky concept behind Ethan Hawke viewing these films. My brother, I was talking to him about Sinister because I remember he likes this film, and he was saying that the lawnmower scene, easily scariest part, easily the part everybody talks about, and I totally get it. It's it's a great bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it is. The parts that got me the most, even on this rewatch, that was really horrifying, is how they added details and then they started moving in the like in the like in the super 8 footage and in in the images. That was that was kind of creepy. Like I thought it was, and it was done really well too cuz I was like, "Oh my gosh, like if that actually happened, I'm looking at this image" and a still image starts moving or looking or doing something that it's not supposed to do, some, something's wrong. So
0: <laughs> This ain't Hogwarts, baby. When the pictures yeah. are moving, get ready. Scares are coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally tracking with you, Caleb, because I would definitely agree that from a conceptual standpoint, this whole concept that the villainous Mr. Boogie, our Babylonian demon, uses his kind of evil powers through the power of images and drawing
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: not even just children, which is kind of the whole folklore point, but even Ethan Hawke's artist into the image and into that horror, is something that I think any viewer can kind of take a step back and say, okay, I see the deeper picture here. I see the bigger themes at play. Right. Because it very much falls into this idea of, you yourself are watching a horror movie just like Ethan Hawke. The difference is, With Ethan Hawke, you know he's the main character of this story. So he's watching something scary. Well, what's to stop something sneaky like Mr. Boogie or a scorpion or whatever to sneak up behind Ethan Hawke, our main character, while he's watching the spooky Super 8 footage? So now you have the potential for two scares, not one. There could be a scare in the Super 8 footage, but also a scare in the actual back right. Lane, right, right. Or to Ethan Hawke. But then there's a third layer, because you, the viewer, go, wait a second, Colin turned off all nine lamps. It's dark in here. There's an attic above me. Oh my God, what was <laughs> that? Oh, it's just Colin's cat. Yeah. So that aspect of the film, I think, is where this film really works. And if you were to tell mm-hmm. me, why is Sinister a great film? That would be my answer. Layer upon layer yeah. upon layer of viewing the art of moving images and how they scare us, which I thought I mean, was really I would
2: I would add to that list, Jack, the sound effects and the design Ooh, yeah. of, of the of the sound that complements the horror elements perfectly too, because like mm-hmm. the sounds, even if they're small sounds or large like grand sounds, they're all coming at you in really different ways.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I, I the sound the sound effects were they were solid. They were they were solid F- fans of it.
0: It's no Lawless for sound effects, <laughs> but you know few films yeah. are. Caleb, what other highlights from this film kind of stuck out to you on a rewatch? Because I was very excited to hear your thoughts and discussion points in regard to this film you chose for today's episode. Because I know Colin and I, we've kind of harped on the lighting. We've harped on the script. we definitely talked about positive elements of the film we liked. But what was kind of your main draw of this film? What are some of the things you really loved about this film?
2: We've talked a lot lot about them, Um, so I'll Go into some ones that we maybe haven't touched on as much. You mentioned it earlier, Jack, the movie Her- Her- Hereditary. And the attic scenes in Hereditary kind of have a attic scene influence from Sinister. Especially with the... He, peek, he peeks up into the attic and he sees all the kids and the projector and the... I forgot the Babylonian demon god's name. It's like but, Bagul or something Yeah, like, that. like you see that... And that we'll talk about that when I rewatched Hereditary recently. I was like, Oh, like I see the connection and the style that they're going for using this like attic space and the darkness. And there's just like a cultic group that's gathered to initiate, in this case, the kids um, to what they're trying to accomplish in this world. So that those that style, I I don't know that how much I really like it, because um, it's really creepy. But it does, it works really well for being creepy. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I kind of actually like your comparison with Hereditary because, for anyone who listened to our relaunch 2010s episode, I'm not as hung up on Hereditary as a lot of people are. That's it's yeah. a big part of the reason why I haven't seen Midsummer yet. <laughs> and I honestly think earlier when I was comparing and contrasting this idea of. Very silly, campy, over the top, ah, ha, dialogue to very straight, stone cold, get ready, your blood's about to go ice cold, dialogue that's very serious. I think Hereditary falls into the category of that latter faction this idea of very intense dialogue, very dramatic, dark material. Yeah. But Hereditary's kind of a finger quotes appeal is that it slowly gets a little bit more campy as the movie goes on. And I would argue that style doesn't really do it for me as much as something like Sinister. And I can't really go into detail on why that is, which you could argue, oh, I don't want to spoil Hereditary for Colin and other viewers. But also because I didn't really come into the discussion thinking about Hereditary. But I do like, Caleb, how you've brought up Ari Aster's filmmaking, because it gives me this kind of idea of, okay... I liked Sinister more than Hereditary. Why? And now I can kind of challenge myself right. on that ground too. Right? Because Colin, I imagine you liked Sinister more than Midsummer, right? Uh, hmm, gee, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Freaking Colin. <laughs>
1: yes, I did very much like Sinister better than poo-poo garbage film of the year.
0: Well, and and I'm kind of oh man, I'm kind of thinking out loud here, kind of brainstorming my thoughts as I go. So this is a little improvised. But I kind of see it as, Sinister is a much more straightforward narrative than something like Midsummer or Hereditary, which have a lot more plot elements and plot threads and side plots going on in each of their stories. Sinister is very much, guy wants to write a new book, true crime book, goes to spooky house, spooky things happen, his family's going a little nuts, things get crazy. Whether it's Hereditary or midsummer, there's a lot more drama between family members, boyfriend-girlfriends, your fellow co-eds, groups and cultures you're not familiar with. They're spooky cults, yada, yada, yada. So I can kind of get why the simplicity of something like Sinister is beneficial, but I also can see why it would lead to guys like Con and I gain a little nitpicky, being like, oh, of course, every time Ethan Hawke is stressed in this film, he does that whole acting thing of putting his hands on his face and doing the, oh, oh my gosh. He does it way too much. And, <laughs> and I don't know. I don't want to be super mega, I'm the mean critic, But the simplicity of Sinister almost makes it easier for me to kind of catch on to those things, if that makes sense. Sure. That being said, I think I still enjoy that from a horror perspective more than something like Hereditary.
2: And on the topic of like comparing, I'll kind of move on to since we talked about Candyman on the podcast. Sinister for me is no Candyman. Like Candyman is like peak horror in my mind.
1: Yes, it is.
2: Sinister, you know, has its weaknesses. We've talked about those today, and we've there's probably some other things we haven't mentioned yet. But I don't, yeah, I don't see a great as great of a comparison between Sinister and Candyman as I did between uh, Sinister and Hereditary.
1: Do I? You know, should I? Should I watch oh, ahead, Hereditary? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Nah, in I, I yeah, wouldn't. I, no, Colin,
2: I wouldn't call him. That. You're gonna, you're probably gonna like it less than Midsummer.
0: <laughs> oh, the one <laughs> thing Hereditary had. Doesn't have is it doesn't have the college students arguing about theses. Ah, uh, that's true, that's true. So if that was your least favorite part, it's also shorter. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I, I think Colin would. I've seen people say hereditary is better, but I, I I don't know. I would be very interested to hear Colin's thoughts on Hereditary, but yeah, I I don't know. If you didn't like Midsummer, I'd, the the cards are stacked against you. <laughs> yep. Well, but going back to the topic of horror movies that we've talked about on this podcast, you know, Caleb, when you were talking about this idea of Candyman being peak horror, <laughs> I had a flashback. Mistakes were made to how I only gave Candyman four stars. So while you were talking about Candyman, <laughs> I literally pulled up Letterboxd to boost that up to four and a half stars. Nice. And then I saw that I've already boosted it up. So. Heck yeah. For those keeping track on the yelling at the screen wiki I don't know about, make sure you put <laughs> four and a half, not four stars.
1: Uh, peek behind the curtain, folks. We haven't Googled ourselves in quite some time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're actually very technology internet inept. We just can't figure these things out. Right. Caleb didn't hey, know. How do you was. Google something? Colin, <laughs> you're lying. You Googled things live, boy. <laughs> oh man, you're right. All right,
1: audience, I know how to Google things. That was a joke. If you need the Webster's definition, it is the... uh...
0: I do like where Caleb's going about Candyman, though. Because the more I kind of sit on Candyman and contemplate it, the more I do think that's, in my opinion, top ten best horror film worthy, easily. Whether it's something like Sinister, Hereditary, not even thinking about putting that up there. No offense to those guys. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I think Candyman is very scary... It hits on really cool concepts and themes that the horror complements on well. The narratives do a good job of being character-focused without losing the tension and details that they're kind of hitting at from a broader scale. Yeah. And I just think they do a better job of striking really strong images, really strong ideas that are going to really stick in your head for a long time. Because I do feel like if I were to say one damning thing about Sinister is that it's just not very memorable in my book. Apart from the lawnmower scene, I just don't feel like this is (laughs) something that is going to sit with me. It's not something I'm going to... I'm just going to forget about it with a bunch of other movies. And you can argue, you know, oh, but Jack, the wondrousness of the B-movie. You know, just go to the movie theater on a Friday night. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. But in the grand scheme of things, I don't know. It's just not a film that I see myself falling in love with on rewatches. Or even wanting to rewatch it. Yeah. I respect that. I don't think Sinister is a bad movie. I just didn't like it. Okay. Yeah, that's, and that's That's fine. fair. That's an yeah. argument, Jack. Hopefully I've done an okay job of kind of giving. I feel well, like you talked didn't. A lot it was stupid. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> all, all, all all. I was tipping my hat to him earlier, but now I'm hanging my hat in shame. <laughs> my head down. Yeah, let me let me grab that hat for you. Colin, are there any other big discussion points or topics you've been wanting to kind of hop on in regards to... Because I think Caleb and I have hit on some good stuff here in regards to the themes in Sinister and how they compare and contrast with other horror canonized classics, whether it was our favorites or other contemporary favorite horror films. Are there any other ideas or thoughts you want to share in regards to some of your post notes when it comes to Sinister?
1: I sure would. So... What did y'all think uh, okay, I'll will come I'll, I'll just come right out and say it. Bagul is not real. It is a fictitious demon made up for this movie with right. very little basis of uh, real world excuse me inspiration.
0: <laughs> me leaving cookies out for Bagul every time I get a new film. Yeah, dude.
1: <laughs> Colin said he's not real. Oh no!
0: Look, here's here's the thing.
1: What or let me get y'all's thoughts on this. What did you think of the way the I, the demon was introduced by the that egghead research type person who he skypes? Oh, I'm sorry, who he FaceTimes very specifically using that Apple product? Oh yeah, all the Apple stuff we see. Yeah. <laughs> <The> FaceTime. <laughs> okay, now that that's out of the way. Wait, what, what was d- your question,
0: Colin? I think My- I missed the question. <laughs>
1: My question was, what did you think of the way the demon lore was introduced, or or not was introduced, but was handled in this movie?
2: I was fine with it. It had it was very much uh, in the same vein as like the Paranormal Activity. The expert comes in and is like, "Well, this is this, this, and this," and I can't help you so and then they reject help or whatever like it's just very like it's
0: the classic horror
2: trope yeah, yeah it yeah. just feels like the classic way or exorcist it. very you know yeah. <laughs> you've seen it a million
0: and I, and I don't think that's a bad thing i don't i think five years ago a younger jack would have said oh this is tropes this is you know we've seen these things before but now that i'm older i respect the tradition yeah. i respect the class you know you gotta respect the structure so i didn't have an issue with it i didn't have a problem with it i like that actor though vincent um God, I can never say his last name. Frio. I believe he's it's in... pronounced Van Gogh. Vincent <laughs> Van Gogh. <laughs> oh, Colin! You know he's Private Piles in Full Metal Jacket. He's the cockroach yeah. bad guy in Men in Black. One of my favorites. So he's a good actor. I wish he was in more, but you know, I, I didn't have an issue with that reveal, that character. Yeah, and the and the you know the
2: world that it brought into the story, I think, was interesting take it or leave it like it's yeah it's not real for the sake of this story i think the kids like the kids that were already in the footage it's their costume design like the way they did their like their face their faces right and their movement and even this oh gosh i'm thinking of this scene of like ethan hawk going down the hall and they're like kind of creeping around to him all of them if anything's going to be m- memorable for me it's going to be that scene is that is like a technical feat like to be able to do it with that lighting and to have them moving that quietly looking like doing it quick quick enough that you don't actually think you could catch it from like the corner of your eye like
0: it's just it's so well designed it's almost like sometimes they were going in slow mo sometimes they were going in sped up motion too which yeah, I kind of enjoy right that, that was a you good you kind
2: of got this sense of like fading in between like reality or the like our reality and whatever their world is that's I, I kind of
1: got that sense at, at certain points of the story. So I, I have a uh, question another question about a, a potential inspiration for this movie. So are y'all familiar with the idea that in uh, Japanese culture, one of the absolutely spookiest things to them, is, like, the ghost child, particularly, like, little girl ghost trope. Did y'all get that, any influence of that idea in this movie with those scenes where the kids are walking
0: down the hallway or... We've all seen Cabin in the Woods. We know the frog scene.
1: <laughs> yeah, exa- well, exactly, man, like I'm saying. Uh, what did y'all... Do y'all have any commentary on that? I mean, it's, creepy it's probably pretty... Creepy. Probably pretty obvious, but i figured i would ask it anyway i made a note of it
2: i don't know what you're referencing so i don't have a uh, no. much to say fair
1: enough okay well never mind
0: <laughs> i'm a big weeb so i kind of get what colin's going at jack jack can handle it <laughs> I, I may just a weeb. For this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i can see it Colin. i definitely think with a lot of western films it goes back to the whole like Oh, the Exorcist had a creepy kid in it. The Omen had a creepy kid in it. We need creepy kids. So I don't necessarily think it's an Eastern cultural influence, but Derrickson could prove me wrong. <laughs> Derrickson could prove me wrong. Fair enough, I suppose. So, Kayla, before we wrap up our conversation on Sinister, I had one kind of final discussion question I wanted to ask you, and Colin, I'd love to hear your answer to this too. And that's kind of viewing Sinister in relation to your last pick on this podcast, Black Bear, because both films are about writers finding inspiration, finding influence in their work, in their material. With Black Bear, it was Aubrey Plaza's character trying to think of her screenplay for her film. With Sinister, Ethan Hawke's character is writing a new book, and he's going to be influenced by the house he's in and the crimes that were committed on that property. Tell me a little bit about this shared theme between the two films. And Colin, feel free to comment on this well. And Tell me a little bit about that connection that maybe one film did better than the other or maybe you love both films mm. equally. Just tell me a little bit about your connection with that theme that these two films shared.
2: Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot because I know that these two picks for me are like back-to-back for, for a reason. And it's the very reason that you pointed out, Jack. I don't know that one is necessarily better than the other and its use of the art form as a part of the story both being film but different types you know it's handheld and the steady cam in black bear and even i think it's the handheld that's mostly used even within the movie um, and then sinister is the super 8 footage that you're wat- that he's watching so it's kind of a different engagement with the characters with the medium. So it's that it's that exploration is how are these characters engaging with their with the medium of film, uh, as a part of the storytelling, and I think exploring how that happens is interesting because we all engage with film differently, and I think this can help teach us or even uh, open up a possible way of thinking about engaging with film or even. The art form of writing, if it's, you know, like like you said, Jack, in, in the first part of BlackBerry, it's Aubrey Plaza trying to write. In Sinister, he's trying to write a book. We don't really see him writing a whole lot in Sinister, which is funny. We just see him watching and reacting.
0: That's a good point. I thought about that, too, while watching Sinister, that you rarely see Ethan Hawke get on a typewriter, pick up a pen yeah. or his yeah. laptop, and actually write. So I thought that was hilarious. That was one of those things where the nitpickers would be like, oh, this is terrible. Ding, bad, bad, bad. But well, me, he's I probably, thought it was hilarious. You know, he's wow. Probably, like, Did you
1: just directly insult CinemaSins with the ding, bad, bad, bad? God.
0: <laughs> so I was going to leave it up to viewer interpretation, Colin. But, you know, sometimes your buddy comes in and, and says, personal, hey, here's Jack. the joke. <laughs> wow. Oh. Hey, I got no beef with CinemaSins. Yes, you no clearly
1: problem. do with a comment. Whatever. Continue your
0: observation, Caleb, while Jack thinks about the mean things that he did. Email us at yelling at, the at gmail.com. Are you pro-cinema sins? Or are you Team Con or Team Jack? <laughs> <laughs> Captain America, Civil War, yelling at the screen. Anyways, I'm getting off topic. No, Caleb, I definitely saw that connection between the two right. films, both in regards to that the main characters were writers and that there was commentary, both explicit and implicit, on the art form of filmmaking. I think Sinister arguably does it a little bit better. Definitely a little bit more nuanced and more subtle. However, there are things about Sinister that I don't necessarily think work in regards to the main character being a writer, because there is someone out there, and even myself, I kind of see this. You can almost have the same level of horror quality, the same gripping images and same scary set pieces that Colin and you and I have all raved on. And you could do all that without Ethan Hawke's character being a writer. And I'm not necessarily saying the film is better or worse because Ethan Hawke's character is a writer. But for me, it's just that Ethan Hawke's character being a writer almost doesn't really matter. If anything, it just stirs up some drama with the wife, which, Ah. I don't know, I looked back at my notes while we took a quick break, and (laughs) I saw that, like, I don't know, it's just, it's an hour and 15 minutes into the film, maybe an hour and 20 minutes before the wife realizes, oh my gosh, we moved into a crime scene. And I know, <laughs> I know Colin and I harped on this a lot at the beginning, but it's just that classic, like, all right, welcome to Screenwriting 101. Now remember, kids, at the end of the second act, and then everyone in the classroom goes, the characters have to be at a low point. And, and I don't know, like, I get it. Like, there's tropes for a reason. There's classic yeah. screenwriting journeys, yada, yada, yada. But... It just seemed, I don't know, it just seemed kind of silly and kind of took me out of it. True. Now, Colin, I have a sneaky feeling, well, okay, this joke's getting old. You like Sinister more than Black Bear, so... It is clear. Do you have anything you want to comment on regarding that discussion? No, not not a thing. I, <laughs> I think that Caleb
1: learned from what he did wrong when he picked Black Bear. <laughs> I think that uh, after today, he will no longer pick Black Bear-adjacent films... And all will be right with the world, you know. Oh, just
0: wait till my next one comes. <laughs> oh, Christ. i Black Bear Two again. Yeah. No. You know, on the topic of Black Bear adjacent films, there's something really funny about the Black Bear director's wife and co producer, co writer. She made the Black Christmas remake. I don't know, there's something really funny about that. Black Bear, Black Christmas. Ay. Aye, aye. <laughs> Well, if it's okay with you two gentlemen, let's go ahead and move on to our final thoughts on the 2012 film Sinister. Colin, do you want to start us off? Spoopy. Ah! Oh no! Oh no! Uh,
1: but other than that, uh, weak, uh, weak everything but spoopy, man. That's all I got to say. I, I enjoyed the overall story, the set pieces awesome, but the lighting woo. The riding, ooh, the whining, ooh, and of course, as we all knew, the British. That is it. That's all I got.
0: <laughs>
1: Caleb, all right, Caleb. Yeah, Caleb, your turn.
0: Final, final thoughts on the film you picked for this episode.
2: So confused by Colin's view of like the british like it keeps just saying things in british or like saying the british
0: as if it means something <laughs> colin's been reading a lot about anti-imperialism we're very proud of him colin gets woke every day more and more woke every day and, and we love it about him you know spain we're coming for you next get rid ro- of no, i'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <sighs> uh, yeah um
2: the ain't uh, like anytime the trope is used to explore the horror elements in a more academic supernatural like What do the experts have to say? That always fascinates me. Not because I think it's true or that it's corroborated in any way. I think it makes for a more dynamic main character. And like how is the character reacting to the truth of that in the story? So that's fascinating to watch here because Ethan Hawke's character does not actually believe in this. But you see him transform a little bit to the the point where he has to make a decision about it right like he can't just deny it because it's obviously haunting him and affecting him in a real way but he doesn't know what to do about it those are some of my final thoughts we well, didn't even touch on like the influence maybe children of the corn might have had on like the children perspective
1: i've never seen that is that a is that something that should be paid attention to oh i think colin you would really like Ch- children of the corn You'd like it a lot more
2: than Sinister. Do they eat corn? A corn is definitely a part of the, the, the movie.
1: Do they eat children? <laughs> do the children eat the corn? <laughs> I'm not convinced, Caleb. I don't, I
2: don't, I don't remember if they, if they actually eat the corn or eat each other or what they do to eat. Be... <laughs> I'm just
0: saying, man. <laughs> as far as my final thoughts go on Sinister, I did not think this film was as good as Arrival.
1: Oh, wow. So wow. it's going to be a low-rated movie. So Arrival is better than Sinister. Wow. You got, you got to
0: find the bits. You got to find the running gags. You, yeah, and you get find, on all the yokes. Oh, ups. yeah, find the running gags. Oh. No, no, no. I, I don't think Sinister is a bad movie at all. I think there's some very effective scares, some very effective horror going on as far as the mood and atmosphere and some of the concepts and ideas. I just think the full package those scares came with, the script and a lot of the interrelationships between characters and the kind of rinse and repeat nature of its Haunted House style trappings, just didn't do it for me. Not a bad movie by any means, but it just didn't quite hit the Jack canon. (laughs)
2: Sure. I'm glad there are movies that are worse than a rival to you, Jack. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like Hereditary. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I don't hate Arrival. Quit putting it on the main, guys. I don't hate Arrival. I just don't love it as much as... Listeners, <laughs>
2: don't let Jack fool you. <laughs> yeah, dude. He's,
0: he freaking wow. hates Arrival, man. I honestly might like Arrival more than
1: Thor Ragnarok, if I'm being honest.
2: Oh, dang. Them fighting words, Jack. <laughs> Caleb,
1: uh, I would like to propose that we have a meeting uh, after the episode is recorded uh, about voting Jack off the island. <laughs>
0: The tribe has spoken. The tribe
1: (laughs) has spoken.
0: Well, speaking of the tribe speaking, it's time for us to speak about our ratings. Caleb, I'm going to have you go first. All right. You found a little Super 8 in your attic. Don't know where it came from, but you plugged it in. You thought, ooh, I'm on a film podcast. I need to watch some classic films. Let's see what's going on here. And as you pop it in, you notice five bears, and they're all stuck in the woods. And Aubrey Plaza (laughs) has them tied up, and she has the axe (laughs) ready to go, oh and gosh. she is about to get murderous on these poor five black bears. So you look away and say, oh, I can only handle so much gruesome imagery. How many of those five scary, horrific images, killings? God, this is dark. I I, I kind of regret this. <laughs> but out of five, how many are you going with?
2: <laughs> All right, so honestly, guys, I came into this podcast episode ready to give it a, a little bit of a higher rating, but I think after our discussion, I'm going to bring it down a bit. I think some of the points i made were very valid with respect to the writing. Even your, your observation, Jack, about the pattern of the super eight film. Not that I didn't notice that, but I wasn't paying as close attention to it. But now that I am, I'm like, Oh, like interesting. That is kind of gimmicky in some ways. I think, uh, Aubrey Plaza is going to be killing three and a half of them.
1: Three and, a half. three and a half images.
0: All right. Caleb, if it makes you feel any better, it won't. On the flip side of this, I think you've done a good job of me appreciating other parts about this film that I might have written off. So, that's kind of funny that we had a similar effect on each other. (laughs) Yeah. But it's no longer about Caleb and Jack. It's Colin time. Colin, you also found a Super 8 footage in your attic. I did? This is weird. I need to check this out. You put it in, and you realize, wait a second, is that a train track? Is that Jack and Caleb tied to the train track? Why would Jack and Caleb be on a train track? This is just bizarre. This is strange. They know better than to play on the tracks. But as you look closer, you think, wait a second. Those pants they're wearing, those are white. And you turn to your calendar, and it's the day after Labor Day, and you look back to the street, and Kathleen Turner is launching the boulders at Jack and Caleb on the train track. Why she didn't wait for the train, God only knows. But those five boulders are coming at Jack and Caleb. How many of those boulders are you gonna watch crush your co-host before you turn it off? <laughs> oh boy, I'm I'm gonna have to
1: watch three boulders hit those co-hosts. As sad as it is. Three boulders.
2: I almost said three. I almost went a whole I was gonna I was ready to give it four today, guys, but y'all you know, brought it down for me.
0: <laughs> Dang. How does that make And now feel Caleb Jackie? will no longer wear white after Labor Day. Yeah. <laughs> Amen, dude. Got it. I also found some Super 8 footage in my attic, and as I plugged it in, I was greeting to the wonderful beauty of a nice Sergio Leone Western, seeing the great, epic, wide shots as the cowboys go down. But what's this? Troubles brewing and five cowboys are in trouble, as on the screen Colin and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Secret of the Ooze, charge these poor five cowboys, katanas at the ready. I think of the five cowboys they're taking out, I'm going to go with two. Two? <laughs> wow. Poor Sinister. So yeah. you
2: gave Arrival
0: two and a half stars, Jack? Is that, is that what you're saying? Rivals going. I haven't seen Arrival since it was in theaters. <laughs> it could go either way. It could be two and a half, two. It could be three. Just okay. have to wait and see on that reward. It could be five, you know? <laughs> yeah, it could, could be. There you go. I, I'm more <laughs> likely to... Rewatch something like Arrival than Ragnarok or Sinister or <laughs> Hereditary. I'm not rattle start of... Shut up, Jack. Well, I will shut up, Colin, because for the second half of this episode, we are going to be doing something very special, ladies and gentlemen. It is time for Colin talks auteurs. He's got two Autors lined up, two big directors of American twenty first century filmmaking that he's going to talk about. Colin. You finally got to sit down and watch Christopher Nolan's 2020 film *Tenet*. I did, and
1: Jack, I feel like you've got a story that you would like to tell.
0: Oh, you want me to start with the
1: story? I, want you <laughs> <start> <laughs> I do want with with to tell the story. Oh, it's such a good story because okay, I think that time. the I think that the story
0: adds some much needed context. <laughs> the people have been waiting to hear Colin's thoughts on Tenet. They've gone Caleb's thoughts, they've gone Jack's thoughts. The people need to know, and we're going to let them wait a little bit longer. Just as a tell little. A quick story. <laughs> you know, we've established that Colin is the great wife guy of this show, so of course, he watches movies with his wonderful wife, Catherine, the unofficial fourth mic of The Only The Screen. Sorry, Gabe. Sorry, Connor. Sorry, that stupid wheel Colin always pulls up. We all know that fourth mic belongs to Catherine. So Catherine sat down with Colin, myself, and my wife, Daisy, to watch the film. Daisy looked at Tennant and said, One, Robert Pattinson's hair looks terrible. Two, this is not Parasite or Before Sunrise. I will not be partaking in this viewing. And that was fine. (laughs) Daisy understands her standards when it comes to film. We respect Daisy. Shout out to Daisy. So Colin, Catherine, and I are watching this film. And Catherine starts to share a very similar sentiment to Christopher Nolan's Tenet, that I do. And if you recall from past conversations, one of my biggest issues with Tenet is that I don't think Elizabeth Debicki's character really works as the kind of moral, emotional center of the film. The idea that Nolan goes, hey, I'm a dad, I care about my kids, and look, here's a character who loves her son a lot, and she really cares about him. I didn't think that personally worked with a lot of the really intense heart sci-fi, or the really cold, calculated nature of the intense spy movie. It just didn't work for me. But, that being said, I was not quite as invigorated or angry with this arc as good old Catherine Fleetwood was. (laughs) She hated Elizabeth DeBecchi's character. And there was just so many points during the second half of the film where Catherine would in the great namesake of the show, yell at the screen, I hate her! She's awful! Robert Pattinson should be the emotional core! He's way hotter! He's way more better! There's. I care about him so much, I don't know anything about him! Yada, 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 yada. And she's going on and on. She's just really mad at this character. And that's fine, you know? Everyone has different reactions to these films. Christopher Nolan has that effect on the general movie-going public. Throughout this film, Kong would look at me whenever they said something really weird, very spy-like, very sci-fi BS. He would look at me and say, What? But, but, they, they... Okay, whatever, whatever. And then they would say something else about reverse entropy. And he would say, Okay, Jack, in a screenplay, you can't... You know what? Whatever, Jack. Let's keep going with it. And I kind of watch Khan in real time, because this was my second viewing of Tenet, kind of be defeated by Nolan. <laughs> and as we get to the final big set piece, where DeBecky and Kenneth Branham are on their boat, and... You know, they're fighting over spilled raspberries and all that, and Catherine's mad and pissed, (laughs) like, I hate this woman! She's the worst! She's awful! All of a sudden, a very loud, abrupt noise... Or, not noise, a loud, abrupt voice stops Catherine's tirade against Nolan. And we just hear Colin go, Stop! And Daisy, Catherine, and I all get dead quiet and look at Colin. And Colin, with the look of defeat in his eyes, just the saddest voice I've ever heard him, he goes... Please be nice to Mr. Nolan. He is trying really hard. (laughs) And it was one of the best movie-going experiences I've ever had. (laughs) So, Colin, why don't you tell us a little bit about how hard Mr. Nolan tried with this movie? (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh Also, before he goes, this is it. Spoilers. If you are one of the eight people who haven't seen Tenet, (laughs) Point of No Return... We are spoiling the crap out of this movie.
1: (laughs) That we are indeed. We are spoiling the absolute crap out of this film. So, here's the deal. I was... uh, Oh, how do I put this? Extremely confused by this movie. There was an awful, awful lot going on. uh, In case you didn't quite catch, catch, catch that. There is so much happening. There's so much just insanity going on and it's very difficult to keep up with and they the way that they explain things or they don't explain things uh can get quite frustrating so i would at points in the movie look at jack and say jack what is like who is this what what's going on why are they going to do this thing and i would immediately just say you know what they're gonna explain it they're gonna explain it it'll be fine don't ask questions and I kept doing that throughout the whole movie, and you know what? Very little of what I had questions about actually got explained. Uh, so I'm still—I'm a week after having seen this movie, I'm still scratching my noggin, like, "What? Oh my God! What? What? What's going on? Oh my God!" Now hold on a
0: second, Colin. It's like that scientist told the protagonist, "Don't overthink it. Just feel it." <laughs> you got to feel Nolan, Colin. You got to feel his wavelength. Do, do you think you felt uh, anything from this film? <laughs> I certainly didn't feel anything. <laughs> because
1: as much as I want to disagree with Jack's uh, criticism of of you know, oh, this movie has no emotional core. I I often like to disagree with Jack. I think this is well documented. <laughs> I couldn't, man. There, the the emotional attachment in this movie is. Non-existent. Well,
0: hold on a second, hold on a second, because that is my argument, but I don't necessarily... Let me clarify something real quick, if that's okay. I-, I think the emotional core shouldn't be, okay, you have your villain and your villain's wife who wants to divorce him, and she's worried about their kid. I don't think that really hits on what works with Tenet. I think that final conversation between Robert Pattinson and John David Washington before they're about to part ways... I think there's a lot of charm and heart to that final conversation where he says, is this the end? And he's like, oh, it is for for me, but not for you. It's only the beginning. I I think there's something really cool there that's worth dissecting and exploring. And I would make the argument that if that was kind of the heart of this movie, the emotional core, that would be much more enticing. I think audiences would get more out of that. Does that kind of make sense? Yes, it does. I'm so on board with that, Jack. And, you know, Catherine made an interesting prediction that blew my mind. I remember Catherine had never seen it before. I was like, did this girl read the plot summary? Catherine goes, oh, I bet the kid, Becky's kid, is going to grow up to be Pattinson. And I was like, okay, okay. And that didn't end up happening, but uh, this was uh, my wait, second. Wait, did it? Did it? <laughs> In our headcanon it <laughs> did it. In our head came, Yeah. <laughs> My point is, if Catherine can sit down, and watch the film and just say, Oh, here's what you do to make it better I, I think that says a lot about the story and the narrative and kind of those emotional beats it's going for. Agree. Okay. I can I can get on board with that for sure. Anyways, Colin, I just wanted to clarify some stuff I because I didn't I don't hate Tenet. I've seen a lot of one star, half star reviews of Tenet, and I don't mm. think Tenet is a quote-unquote bad film. I think it's a messy film. I think it's a weird film. I think it's a strange film, an awkward film. But I do think it's entertaining. I don't think it's bad.
1: Okay. 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 Caleb, what do you think of all this? Did you find Tenet confusing and scary like we did? <laughs> yeah, Caleb, go full spoiler mode. This is the moment
2: we've all been waiting for. I don't know about scary, but I don't know, Jack, I- It wasn't entertaining. Like, it was just, gosh.
1: Wait, it wasn't entertaining? For me,
2: it really wasn't that entertaining. It was literally dialogue conversation, sitting down with someone, telling you to go to the next person to sit down and talk to them, to go to the next person to talk. Like, it was literally going like that the whole time. I still need to rewatch it. Because I want to give it the benefit of the doubt, you know, that it's a Nolan movie. You really got to think think about it. You got to pay attention. You got to give it a couple of rewatches before you truly grasp what is happening. With it, though. I
0: was I was not entertained. <laughs> are you not? Well, I I kinda get what you're are you not entertained that's funny. Nice. I get what you're going for, Caleb. Yeah. And it's a good parallel to what we were talking about with Sinister, the whole cycle right. of Ethan Hawke's routine in the movie. But for me where tenant works and Sinister doesn't, is tenant is ridiculous. It's okay, I'm fighting in an opera house, bombs are going off, gas is going, it's crazy. Oh, Double cross, trip cross. Now I'm captured. Yeah. Now I have to eat a poison pill. Oh, the poison pill's are fake. Now I'm doing lift-ups on the bar and the ladder. And now I'm driving this mysterious car and I'm talking to a scientist about science yep. fiction shit that doesn't make any sense. And now I'm going to go talk to Robert Pattinson and I'm going to go hop up some giant Indian tower and then I'm going to go talk to Michael Caine and we're going to talk about suits. And he's going to eat and get a free paycheck. And then I'm going to go... I like that wildness. I like that stupidity of like, go, 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 go. Because all that happens before the first hour of the movie's up. A pl- the plane hasn't even crashed yet. It's just a lot of silliness. And for me, the idea that somebody's sitting down, like, scratching their chin, like, such art. No one's done it again. That's hilarious to me. It's I know yeah. it's a little ironic, but yeah. I find that very entertaining. Uh, okay, personally. I see what you're saying now. Now that I understand your perspective... Please be nice to Mr. Nolan, Jack. (laughs) He tried very hard. Con, I... My favorite... Go ahead. My favorite letterbox review of this film is this guy, like... I'll send it to you guys later. We'll post it on the Twitter feed. He writes this review, like, he's one of the producers who funded this movie, and it's this very strange, dark, hilarious, tragic story of a producer, like, I get to spend millions of dollars creating crap that's pretending to be art and it's this idea of this guy pretending to be a producer working with nolan on tenet and how no one on set knows what's happening and everyone thinks it's strange and he gets to go to bed at night knowing they wasted millions of dollars it's a very strange review but it's really funny and for me tenet is the type of art that i don't think necessarily works as a great film but i think it's going to inspire great art for how silly it is you keep using the you keep using that word
1: I do not think it means what you think it means. Silly? I don't think it's silly. Christopher Nolan loves to play with the idea of of, of convolution in his movies, and this Call movie. The guy's
0: name is the protagonist. <laughs> it's silly, and it like
1: <laughs> digs and digs and digs and digs deeper, and it's just very convoluted. Well, let's talk about the stuff that you liked in this movie, Jack.
0: Did you like anything in this movie, without calling it silly? I liked how serious it is about the spy stuff. Just no blinking, no winking. Just (laughs) people are saying random shit. People are saying strange stuff. They're moving. It's very cold and calculated. And one of my biggest issues with the Mission Impossible movies that are so big is they really try hard to make you, like, relate to Ethan Hunt as this agent who will do anything to get the job done. But he's really a good guy. He's got a heart of gold. But with John David Washington's protagonist, he's just there to do the mission, get shit done, do his job... Robert Pattinson's here to make some jokes, some cracks. Okay, John David Washington can make a crack too, but let's hop on it. We got stuff to do. I like that self-serious coldness. And for me, I think I said this in the past, but the first 45, 50 minutes of the film before DeBecky's character kind of gets introduced are the best parts because it's just John David Washington and Robert Pattinson and other third parties talking serious spy crap that might not always make sense but you just know there's this momentum going for it that i really enjoyed that's fair i
1: tell you what my absolute favorite part of the whole movie was and then like it happens twice is where he fights spoiler spoiler he has that fight that's played in reverse with himself i thought that that like the first time it happens i think i remember even saying okay that was pretty cool like without the proper context of what was going on. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. that fight was pretty cool. Like it's happening in re- like one side is in reverse, one side is in the, you know, forward time. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. But then you find out you're like, oh my god, that's him and in order to do the thing, he has to do he has to win this fight and or escape and it's one of those things this movie plays with time travel. In a way that truly, like, if we're being objective, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but they do acknowledge a few of the... It, it, it's almost like by acknowledging some of the problems with time travel, they they address some of the problems, but they just leave the other... They kind of pick and choose what they choose to talk about. Because, like, at the very end of the movie, Robert Pattinson says, well, we're still here, so it worked. And that idea of time travel is like, well, if we failed, then none of us would be here right now.
0: Well, so, you're talking about after they stopped the algorithm, right? Yeah. Because I, I thought if the algorithm got set off or whatever, the, the whole world universe would end. That's that's kind of how I. But keep going, keep going. No, I, that's I, a, no, Collins that's point.
1: that's my point. Is yeah. that by Robert Pattinson's comment, like right before the end of the movie, where he's like, "Oh, well, we're still here, so you know, it must it must have worked." That that saying that. It, it, it does this weird thing of, like, how, how am I going to describe this? Okay, I, I, I use this as a point of reference uh, a lot, but I'm going to talk a little bit about Perry Mason. So for those of you who remember, you all know who Perry Mason is or what Perry Mason is? The
0: We're class goes, we remember Perry Mason. Yeah, you better <laughs> freaking remember Perry Mason. So Perry
1: Mason is a, is a lawyer who loves to, uh, uh, you know, do gotcha lawyering while his witnesses are on the stand, right? And this movie reminds me, because if that comment that Robert Pattinson made, well, we're still here, so it must have worked, that defeats the tension of the movie. Because they kind of hint at that early on, like, hey, the fact that we're even still able to have this, the events in this movie happening means that we are successful. It's also a movie where the main character's name is the protagonist, so... It's kind of obvious, oh, they're going to win at the end. There's, like, no tension in that regard. But I'm drawn to this quote from a, a valued member of my childhood. And that's, that's Red Foreman. Jack, do you know who Red Foreman is?
0: Yeah, from that 70s show. Yes. Yeah, so, the Perry Mason quote. <laughs> yeah,
1: the Perry, the Perry Mason quote, which is, uh, Kitty wants to change the channel and watch something different. And then uh, she turns off the TV and he goes, I was watching Perry Mason. And she says, let me give you a hint. Perry Mason wins. And then Red says, it's not if he wins, it's how. That's the magic, damn it. And I feel like this movie encapsulates that quote very well. We all know that they win because time travel, basic mechanics say, well, if this guy's trying to destroy the world via time, space, continuum, and we're all here, obviously the good guys win, the, the world isn't destroyed. It's not if the good guys win, but how. And I think that this movie really captures the how part really well. Even though <laughs> they do, don't do a very good job of explaining how. <laughs> like, for example, what is the big time twisty machine that you go in and then go out the other side who made that what is it where is it from
0: how did it's from the future how did
1: Kenneth Branagh get to be Russian and an all-powerful criminal organization (laughs) how did anybody how how was anyone willing to have sex with what's-her-face to have a baby? I don't know. These are questions that are go unanswered in this movie. Daisy asked the question, "Why would Robert
0: Pattinson let them do his hair like?" Which I thought his hair looked fine. I was I
1: yeah. Was do it. Daisy, that's a I'm I'm that's an illegitimate flag on the play, flag on Daisy. the play illegal flag on the flag play on my wife. There we go. Five yard penalty. <laughs> you have to review this film from five yards
0: further away from the screen. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. What a sport. Anyway, now I kind of like this contrasting idea of like. Colin enjoyed the, you know how it ends, but trying to figure out the how is fun, and then I kind of came from this perspective of, okay, you start with this cold, stone-cold, very crazy spy movie, and then it gets really silly and stupid, and it becomes a really funny sci-fi film that I view from an ironic perspective. Caleb, what was kind of your general viewing when it came to how you interpret the quality of Tenet, whether you liked it or disliked it, because... Like myself in the past, you've really only been able to explain your feelings about this film in a non-spoiler context, so now you kind of have that time to let loose. So what do you think about some of the things Colin and I have been saying, whether you're tracking with them or not, or maybe there's third-party other ideas you want to kind of introduce to this conversation? Okay, what's the question? (laughs) What do you think of Tenet? Like, go full spoiler mode. What, what What do you think of Tenet, now that you've had time to digest and sit on it? Um... Honestly, hearing y'all talk about it makes me kind of like it
2: less. (laughs) Dang! Uh, Ouch! (laughs) Like I, uh, not it's not because how y'all are saying anything. It's like the content. It's like oh, like I actually didn't enjoy watching this (laughs) when I think back on my first. There's a reason you haven't
0: rewatched it yet.
2: (laughs) And I was like, man, I want to because I want to come into the conversation with with a rewatch under my belt. And I couldn't mainly. I mean, I watched some other movies because. (laughs) priority <laughs> it, it it is quite a commitment to watch tenet. yeah oh no, no no. this is what happened okay yesterday i sat down all right i was like i pulled up tenet on hbo max and i was like i'm gonna put this on and i was like i looked at how long it was i was like <laughs> uh i don't know that i, I want to do this right now <laughs> um and then i put something else on that was like maybe 40 minutes less than that than tenet um But anyway, going into more specific, here's why I may not like this as much now. You know, Jack, you called it ironic, maybe, the way it used the sci-fi, like going from the serious Cold Cold Stone spy.
1: Cold Stone Creamery. Yeah, Cold Stone Creamery
2: to the ironic sci-fi elements. Like I wanted it to commit to being something. Mm, I didn't really mm. know what it was. And I kept trying to, kind of with Colin, figure out what's happening. Like, how is this happening? What's going on here? What's the context? And I could never really grab a hold of anything in the story that would keep me attached to it. There wasn't any characters. Like, I love Robert Pattinson as an actor. But, like, there weren't any characters that I was super invested in and were interested in exploring and excited for or sad for or... Like you know, Colin said it earlier. I didn't really feel anything while watching. This. Um, yeah, it's to me, it's lacking a lot. And I think at this point, I mean, I I like I don't like Inception, but I think Inception's better than Tenet. <laughs> oh, wow! No, yeah, no
1: competition. It's yeah, Inception's I mean, I'm gonna go thing. ahead and I'm gonna yeah. go ahead and say that as well. I do um, think Inception is better than Tenet, if for yeah. <laughs> no other reason then it 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 simply makes more sense. Yeah, there's a story. Yeah, I like. <laughs> think Nolan really did bite off a little more than he could chew yeah, in Nolan thinks this is scenario. better
2: than it is, like, making people want to go out in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> with no vaccine to go watch it. Like, dude, like, it's not that good. Like, chill out. Yeah, oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I, I think the pandemic thing is a good example because yeah. – I really do think Nolan believed that this film would like save cinema and that he was really... Because one is very adamant about him being like, Oh, I'm not going to do any deals with Netflix or Amazon Prime. Yeah. I'm making films for the big screen. I'm the next Stanley Kubrick, baby. Get it on 70mm. Get it on the IMAX. Let's go. Yeah, and for not. me, the fact that... <laughs> I think the ambition is nice. It's encouraging. I, I approve of that. But seeing what he's working with kind of makes you go, Nolan, you're a guy... Who made a movie about time travel and the way our time travelers like transport place to place is to get into these dual cargo ships and just go across yeah. the like, come on, Nolan, like you can do better than that. Okay, I,
2: I'll say this that the time reversal like filming, like the technique that was used, pretty like, like, rad, that's, right? That is pretty rad, like that is impressive. There, there's a reason that that you know got an award for that. At essentially, they I mean, who else were they going to give that? That category at the Oscars too, <laughs> right? Like, right. Fair right. enough. Fair enough. <laughs> like it's literally just for Nolan <laughs> this year. <laughs> yeah. So I do like that. I think it looks good, but for me, there's so many other problems that weigh down my enjoyment of the movie as a whole.
1: That's fair. I can. I totally. I. I am understanding where you are coming from here. It. Oh boy. Convolution is is ripe with this film. It really, truly is.
0: Yeah, I think before I let... Because I'm going to have Colin kind of wrap up his thoughts here in a second as we... Then we'll give Tenet our inverse catch-the-bullet rating out of five bullets or whatever. <laughs> I think for me, the final thing I want to say kind of about Tenet, and then we can never talk about it again on this podcast <laughs> till the next Nolan talk comes up. I think for me there's kind of two, three things I want to say. The first is that On the Thor Ragnarok episode, I think we were talking about Nomadland and how it stacked up against some of the other 2020 films Caleb had seen. Sure. And for me, on my initial watch of Nomadland and Promising Young Woman and Sound of Metal, I thought, oh, all three of these films are better than Tenet. But now that I've rewatched Tenet, I think I genuinely enjoyed Tenet better than two out of those three films. Sound of Metal being the one that... I think is definitely better than Tenet. And that's, for me, I think that...
1: Go ahead, Colin. No, I said, I agree. That's, that's a fact. <laughs> Sound of Metal <laughs> is definitively better than Tenet. Sorry, Mr. Nolan.
0: <laughs> hey, we love it when the underdog beats a Goliath, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because for me, I think I see it as... This sparks a great conversation about the art of the two-and-a-half-star film... Maybe what the filmmakers, what the creators, writers, directors were going for didn't quite play out the way they would have liked to. Colin, Caleb, and Jack didn't quite dig the vibe they were going for. But, damn it, I got something out of this film. I thought it was entertaining. And I, even though it's a process to watch this movie, I'm so glad I sat down and watched this with Colin over something like Promising Young Woman or Nomadland.
1: Yeah, I, I think the... Go ahead, do Yeah, Gabe,
0: ahead. I, yeah I, don't, I don't know, man. Like... <laughs> Tenet is not
2: that enjoyable. There's I don't understand how you think it's <laughs> it's you, I don't know how you like it more than Promising Young Woman and Nomadland.
1: I think he meant that he would rather watch Tenet with me than Promising Young Woman or Nomadland with me or anybody.
0: Oh, okay. But yeah, cool. I know
2: that's why I'm surprised. Like I'm like, wow, like
0: See, cuz for me the thing I think I disagree with the most in regards to Caleb and Colin versus Jack When you two say, oh, I didn't feel anything. You know, the movie said, don't overthink it. Feel it. And Colin and Caleb said, I'm not feeling anything. I'm (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not. (laughs) Jerry Seinfeld's up there like, I'm not feeling I'm just not feeling it. I'm I'm not feeling anything. anything. (laughs) (laughs) And then I get to be George and say,
1: it was just a kiss, Jerry.
0: (laughs) Enough of Seinfeld. I I don't like this bit anymore. I'm losing to a uh, Kramer, Kramer why are you coming zoomerized. out inverse through my apartment? You're going backwards, Kramer. What's going on? For me, oh hey guys, I can get why. Colin <laughs> God damn, this was I thought. Oh, yeah, yeah, what a mess. I can get why Colin and Caleb didn't get in the vibe of this film. They didn't feel anything, but I felt something. I felt a lot of joy and a lot of laughter at how stupid this film got. And maybe that's wrong of me to say, this film is good because it's dumb. But I, I kind of think that's the case for me. That's fine, Jack.
1: Okay. You can like things for strange yeah. reasons. You are... <laughs> yeah, you can have your preferences. <laughs>
0: this is the penultimate two-and-a-half-star film. I'm telling you.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: What's wow. the ultimate one, then? Dang it, Caleb. Always oh, trying
1: to do your smart words.
0: Probably Crimes of Grindelwald.
1: Oh, oh nice. yeah. Ooh, that's a good answer. <laughs> that is another film yeah, that's that is very really stupid and very funny. That's an amazing answer.
0: Thank wow. you, thank you. But anyways, I've kind of given my rating. You two, wrap up your final thoughts and give it a rating.
1: I'm going to slap it with a solid, oh three point five. 3.5. Whoa. Um, Caleb's like, dang. <laughs> yeah, I'm going
2: to, I'm a, around like a, oh, man. Two and a half's about right. I would I might go lower at two. Like it's not yeah, it's it's down maybe, there. For maybe me. a three.
1: I'll say a three since you <laughs> got just to that way we hit the two, two and a half, three.
0: So there we go. Mr. Nolan tried really hard. Did he make it? The Yatz crew says no, but man, Jack had a fun time. So Dude, I got that? I will say this. That airplane scene, I'm glad it was a real plane. <laughs> Oh yeah, Nolan is, I think Nolan is an artist when it comes to filmmaking. I just, I just think his art has this potential to go into a territory that's very questionable and weird. So that was part one of Colin's auteur talk, as we got to talk about Christopher Nolan and Tenet, the long-awaited yelling-at-the-screen Tenet discussion. And now Colin gets to talk about another major filmmaker that we've talked about many times before on this podcast. Good old... Mr. Wes Anderson, our boy from Texas. The three Texas podcasters hit on one of Texas' biggest filmmakers. Let's go.
1: Oh, yeah. We're hitting on him, baby. Hey, we're Wes. We're oh. How you doing, buddy boy? <laughs> Got your hits. Can uh, I just buy believe, you a drink? Can you
0: believe they were hitting on Wes Anderson? <laughs> I just don't know. That was... Last time we talked about how Colin is... I love that pause. We were all just like, what the fuck? Jeff? What just happened? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, What's going on? I'm losing it, guys. I was sick last episode. I'm losing my mind. Nolan's made me go full Joker mode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real, though. <laughs> Sorry, Walking. So last time we talked about how Colin had officially completed Wes Anderson's filmography. Now, every single member of this podcast can say we've watched every Wes Anderson film. Wait, Caleb, have you seen Darjeeling Limited? I haven't seen Moonrise. Shit, I feel bad. I put you on the... Okay, sorry, Caleb. Uh, Edit that out. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm not editing that out. I'm allowed to make mistakes. Caleb, I hope you forgive me. But if not, I understand. I don't forgive you, Jack. (laughs) Thanks, Colin. Yeah, mistakes were made. We're going to play a little game where Caleb and I are going to try to guess Colin's ranking of the nine Wes Anderson feature films. We're going to do three rounds And how we're going to do this is we're going to cover the films in chronological order. Round one will be the first three films. Round two will be the three films that came out after Royal Tenenbaums. Mm -hmm. And then the last final round will be his latest three films. And we basically have to guess if Colin put the film in the upper tier, mid tier, or lower tier of his ranking. So did we think the film made Colin's top three favorite Wes Anderson films, bottom three, or somewhere in the middle? Somewhere in the middle. I'm just kidding. If Caleb and I get it right, we get a point. And then at the end of the uh, categorization... Categorization? That word. Thank you. At the end, whoever has the most points wins. Colin, will you announce to our audiences what we'll be getting if we win? I don't know. I thought y'all decided this. A brand this. new car. Oh, wait. thank you, That's, Caleb. Thank yeah. you. I thought Colin would be better did No, I'm just kidding, Colin. I'm giving you. <laughs> I'm giving yeah. you a hard, call. You had to rank some movies. We've asked a lot of you. You had to sit through tenet. Ay, 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 poor Colin. <laughs> ay <laughs> Yeah, we get a brand new car. Aye, aye, it's aye. Colin's car, actually. Catherine <laughs> oh. has the keys now. Colin has been looking for his keys Colin's all morning. Still hitting on, on Wes there. Anderson over there. <laughs> hi, hi Wes E Boy. <laughs> The episode spiraled off the tracks. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what happens when we're, we're right after that. Wessy,
1: wessy, Okay. I'll stop.
0: <laughs> Caleb, do we want to do if whoever wins this challenge gets to force the other person to watch whatever film they choose for Too Lazy Next? Is that what we decide? Or are we want to do something crazier? Crazier, crazier, uh, crazier. What you got, Colin? I don't know.
1: This is y'all's game, bro. Paul <laughs> looks so mad. <laughs> How about this? How, okay, fine. You know what? Fine. This is what we're going to do. If Caleb right. wins, no, no, no. I'm sorry. If Jack wins, Caleb has to watch Moonrise Kingdom.
0: No, this isn't
1: high stakes enough.
0: Y'all figure this out. <laughs> we'll figure out. We'll, we'll figure. Out. I think whoever wins picks what the other person is watching for too lazy next time. Nice. All right, that's fine. Keep it simple. We totally <laughs> planned this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Much preparation goes into every episode here at Yelling at yeah. the Screen.
2: <laughs> we run a tight ship over yeah, here. Yeah, Colin definitely
1: <laughs> didn't make his nine film list here uh, during the recording. That's not what happened.
0: oh that's why he's been on that pen and paper (laughs) i am
1: prepared (laughs) i always have been prepared i never will not be prepared
0: all right so we're gonna start with round one the first three wes anderson films starting off from 1996 a film we've covered for feature length on this podcast bottle rocket baby okay so caleb do you want to go first you want me to go first
2: I'll go first. I think it's, so we're doing top, mid, lower tier? That's what we're So
0: you have guessing? three options. You can pick top, mid, or lower. Okay. If Colin ranked it fourth, fifth, or sixth, you want to pick mid, if that's what you think.
2: Right, right. I get it. Then I'm going Bottle Rocket top tier. Ooh.
0: What do you think, Jackie Poo? Okay, 100%. I don't want extra points. I just want bragging rights. I think he ranked it at four. Wow. So I'm going to go mid-tier. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> Jack is 100% correct. Damn. Mid-tier, exactly number four. Wow, Jackie D. Incredible, awesome. dude. I love that. Wow. Wow, 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 Jack. Wow.
0: I see what you're doing there. In my defense... Bottle Rocket's kind of one of the easier ones because we got to hear Colin's full thoughts on it.
2: Yeah, I thought it'd be top two, dude. What happened?
1: So the top three, I mean, they just... No spoilers for the other rankings, I I guess. I suppose... (laughs) Okay, I suppose I should go out on a limb and say there is only one Wes Anderson movie I would say that would make the argument that I dislike. Well, there's only one. Okay. And all of the other ones are pretty... Pretty unbelievably good. So the differences in quality among these choices I feel like is simply just not not as vast as it is in other cases. Does that does that make sense? Yeah.
0: That's where I'm at. The reality is, is the three films that beat Bottle Rocket, they're better than Bottle Rocket in Colin's mind, but only by so and so much, because Colin loves sure. Bottle Rocket—that's kind of what I'm picking up here. Right. Yes. Exactly.
1: Not by a lot, but by a little. Bottle Rocket is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. I definitely, definitely uh, a huge, huge fan of everything that Bottle Rocket does. Everything that it did, I, I like it a whole lot. It's got this very Texas vibe. It's got this very. This is my first film. I don't quite have all my everything down pat yet. But I can see the makings of what he becomes uh, later. Mm-hmm. And I think as far as first films from directors go, pretty good.
0: Pretty, pretty, Top-notch. pretty
1: good. Absolutely.
2: And you can hear more about that on our Bottle Rocket episode. That
0: you can. An oldie but a goodie. <laughs> oldie but a goodie <laughs> yeah. indeed. Well, speaking but oldies and goodies... Let's move on to the next film. Right now, it's Jack 1, Caleb 0. And the next film we're going to be covering is my personal favorite Wes Anderson film, a little 1998 film called Rushmore. Caleb, since I got the point, do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? Yeah, you go first. You go first. Okay. I think Colin is going to put Rushmore bottom tier, not because he wants to be contrarian and fight me or whatever. We are allowed to have differing opinions, yada, yada, I think he's putting Rushmore bottom tier for the sole purpose. He hasn't seen it in forever.
2: I didn't know how to put this one in Collins because I knew neither Colin nor I watched this in a long time, and that's actually the reason why I put it in Collins bot- bottom tier. Wow, I thought you said Collins butt for a second. Yeah, like, that's why I put oh, it in Collins
1: butt so he could poop it out later. <laughs> oh, hey guys, I just found Rushmore, and the results say. You're both correct. Bottom
0: tier. Heck yeah. Do we want to try yeah. to go
1: for what number, bottom
0: tier? How about this? I'll let Caleb guess, and then if he gets it right, he gets a bonus point. I'll take that. All right. Because I think Caleb and I had the same logic. We were both going to answer the same anyway. So I'll, I'll yeah. give Caleb. You know, I'm feeling cocky. I'm feeling confident. I'm stirring the pot.
2: <laughs> yeah. So here's the deal. Jack has the upper hand on in that he's seen all of wes anderson there's one i haven't seen so i don't know what colin might be able to think about that
0: wait 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 you you have seen rushmore i've seen oh, wait, Rushmore. you, you haven't, haven't seen all the seen okay sorry, Moonrise sorry. kingdom let to say i've watched rushmore um, with you
2: yeah no i watched it with you but i
1: think colin put rushmore at nine you are correct rushmore is sitting solidly at
0: nine Caleb gets his sole bonus point. No more opportunities. I can't get too caught. Should I give J-
1: Jack? Do you want a bonus point for for getting? No,
0: no, I don't. Well, I'm gonna give you one anyway. <laughs> We're gonna do it every round. <laughs> give me a bonus point if I get like two or three points behind Caleb. All right, fine, but I don't think I don't think I'll need one. I think wait, Caleb wait, I wait, wait.
1: <laughs> All right, I have a proposition. What are we doing here? (laughs) I'm going to retroactively give you a bonus point right now, Jack. And after you guess middle, low, high, there will be a a secondary point opportunity for guessing the number. This involves... Let's just just
2: move on. Fine.
1: Yeah, I'm with Caleb. Sorry, Colin. (laughs) You both have a bonus point. Congratulations, dummies. It's two to two. You've picked Bottle Rocket. You've picked Rushmore. What's the next movie, Jack? (laughs)
0: All right, 2-2. We're moving on to to 2001, the Royal Tenenbaums. All right, Jack, bottom, middle, high. I'm saying bottom, but I think it's at the, like, 7 or 8 mark. I think he's going to put it at number 7, but I'm going to guess bottom.
2: Yeah, Jack, I actually made a private list on Letterboxd to track my guess for Colin. And that is exactly where I put the Royal Bombs on Colin Caleb case.
0: and I are just were on such a similar yeah.
1: <laughs> mindset, baby. <laughs> wow. So you both say bottom? Mm-hmm. You're both? Correct! It Heck is yeah. number seven in this here <laughs> list. Hey, is I got it really? Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Number eight in this here okay. list. Oh,
0: okay. So let me ask you this, column before we move on to round two. Okay. What? Are either of these two films, Rushmore or Royal Tenenbaums, the bottom pick? I know you said Royal Tenenbaums. Are either of them the ones that you think aren't good films?
1: Rushmore is the the one that I actively dislike. And I don't think it's because it's a bad film. Every time—I've seen this movie, you know, two or three times. And every time I'm like, oh, yeah, Rushmore. Like, I remember uh, some good parts about Rushmore, like— Anytime he interacts with Bill Murray, I love that. Oh, he's hitting on his teacher. It's kind of creepy. I like that. It's kind of weird, but I like it. And then I watch it, and I am just, I remember the vast gaps in between those types of scenes. And mm. it's just, it feels like a movie that's about three hours long, even though I know it's not actually three hours long.
0: Yeah, it's actually one of his shorter films at 93 minutes. Yeah.
1: It, to me, this movie drags, 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 and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Rushmore. I, maybe I need to give it a rewatch. Maybe now that I'm older and more uh, jaded and a teacher, I'll appreciate it more. I don't know, but we we'll, But it it sits firmly at the bottom for me. Uh, Royal Tenenbaums. I think I put lower just because I haven't. I've only seen it once, uh, and it was a while back, and I don't remember a ton about it. I also kind of think in the grand scheme that this one also kinda of drags a little bit. But like I said, none of these movies are bad. Let me I wanna make that Right. Make that clear. Rushmore just wasn't
0: quite on your wavelength.
1: Yes. Like I acknowledge that Rushmore is a good film, but it's it's just not quite as lively and exciting as a lot of his other films are for me.
0: It's interesting because I, I it's so funny how, like, I think Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums are easy top three Anderson in my book. I think those are—I think Rushmore's easy number one in my book. I don't know if I put Tenenbaums at number two or three, kind of flip-flops, but it is fascinating how Colin and I, you know, we do this podcast together, and our we both respect and love Anderson, but our opinions on the high quality versus the not as high quality are complete opposites, which I think is really fun and interesting. Caleb, do you want to add anything to that before we move on to round two?
2: No, I think if there's anything more, I think we should just go ahead and
1: do a full episode. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you know. The Wes Anderson <laughs> retrospective. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe f- to right. celebrate the French dispatch, we'll do that.
0: Yeah, that'd be fun. There you go. There you go. But let's speed on. Do speed round for round two. Caleb is at three. I'm at three. And round two, we start with the 2004 film, Anderson's fourth film, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Caleb, I went first the last two times. You go first.
2: Yeah, so I'm putting this smack dab in the middle. Ooh, middle. Okay, okay. Mid tier. Do we want to
0: guess position or no? You can if you want to. You'll get any bonus points. Number five. Okay. Right in the middle. I'm not going to guess the exact position, but I will say this: at first, I was going to agree with Caleb about it being mid tier. But here's the deal: the last two picks, Caleb and I both agreed on, which is part of the reason why we're tied. And I gave him a bonus point because I'm dumb. <laughs> yeah, but Jack, but I also deal. gave you a bonus point. So I refuted your bonus point. I threw it into the Sarlacc pit. It's hanging out with Boba Fett. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, but Jack, that's why it's three Be- three. This is kind like,
2: uh, of like who's in the debate anyway now? Point that I gave where everything you. is made up and the points don't matter.
1: <laughs> Caleb and I
2: are
0: just gonna watch the same movie anyways for next time. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the deal. I was originally gonna say Colin was gonna put Life Aquatic mid tier. But here's the deal guys. This movie has William Defoe, probably my favorite actor currently living. Defoe is the man. And while Colin has a reputation for being a heathen, he does respect the beauty that is the acting chops of Mr. Defoe, So I'm going to go top tier, baby. He is right. I think he is at number 3. I, I do
1: respect William Defoe. That is a that is an accurate thing to say. All right. It is mid tier coming in Heck yeah coming in at a hot number 6 baby oh number 6 yeah. interesting uh the films above this one uh well i will say i had a very hard time picking between my 7 and 6 the films i chose for 7 and 6 were probably the toughest ah that's not true my my number 1 was probably the toughest but the second toughest pick was 7 and 6 and six was life aquatic six is life aquatic yes okay so so seven interesting yeah
0: so right now for those at home con has put bottle rocket top nope <laughs> <laughs> bottle, bottle rocket mid there you go <laughs> rushmore and royal tenenbaum's bottom and life aquatic mid yep y'all haven't
1: we haven't got to any of
0: the hard hitters just yet Dang, and and there's one spot left in both bottom and mid, which makes things exciting. Yep, exactly. All right, next movie from 2007, The Darjeeling Limited.
1: The hardest movie name to pronounce
0: of his films. Caleb, since you're leading, you have four, I have three. You get to guess first.
2: All right, I'm going... I won't guess the position, but
0: top tier. Ooh, Jack, what do you say? This is a fun one because so many people... Whether it's online or in real life, I know, consider this easy pick for bottom tier Anderson. And it's funny because I think it still is, but for a while it was my sister's favorite Wes Anderson film. Colin has one open spot for mid tier and bottom tier. And I think I'm going to go bottom tier. Ooh.
1: Oh. We could both get it wrong. He could wow. go mid tier. Jack. Wrong choice, my guy. It is the top tier. Yeah colin literally said when he talked about it on podcast that it's like he thinks it's
2: top wes anderson
1: five to three jack 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 i don't know what is colin as well as i thought jack 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 (laughs) Jack, listen buddy you got to start doing a little bit better That's my impression of Seth Meyers' impression of Vince Vaughn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Jack, 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 buddy, listen. (laughs) All right, Caleb at five, Jack at three. Next up, Wes Anderson's first film in the field of stop motion Fantastic Mr. Fox from 2009.
2: You go first, Jack, this time.
0: It's top tier. I've
2: rewatched this so many times. Yeah, this one this
1: one should be a slam dunk. Uh <laughs> yeah. it, it is, yeah. Top tier. No Part of me no was like, you know,
0: Colin's watched a lot of new Wes Anderson, so it might have been dethroned, but I was also like, no, There's I know
1: no Colin. Yeah. I'll go ahead and make the revelation. I did put this as number one. Okay. On my list. And the number two on my list was the Darjeeling Limited, uh, and I really, really uh, wrestled with which one of these two I thought was deserving of the number one Wes Anderson film, and I think I went ahead and went with Fantastic Mr. Fox based off of nostalgia. I've seen it more; it it means more to me. So I think that's kind of what pushed it over the edge. But all that said, I thought the Darje Darje. Oh my gosh, it's so hard to say. Darjeeling Limited. These three white boys from Texas. I know over here. it's Can't so it. tough. <laughs> I I thought that that movie was a little bit unique among Wes Anderson movies. There was a, because it's on a train. There's a lot of horizontal camera movement, very much so like kind of like a Snowpiercer type film. So there's a lot of horizontal True. camera movement, but it's still so distinctively Wes Anderson. Yeah. Man, I don't know. I I, I just have Matt. I think. Darjeeling Limited might be my favorite, uh, <clears throat> my favorite film, film, film cinematography of of the movies. But Fox, I mean, you can't George Clooney uh, l- l- head voice, you can't, you can't go wrong, can't go wrong there. It's too good, man. Willem Dafoe is also in Fantastic Mr. Fox. He plays the rat or the weasel. I can't remember. Uh, I
0: think he's a rat. He's I a think. rat.
1: Okay, yeah. Alright, right, this, this is it.
0: Only three Caleb's winning, left. he's at six, I'm at four. And here's yep. where kind of we're at. Colin has one film left that's top tier, one left mid, and one left bottom, right? Th- that I do. Right. So I think we should end this with we each have the potential to get three points. We have to guess these last three films. Kind of like how Colin and I did it. Uh, we I agree. We were guessing you're right. Okay, wait, okay.
2: so if you win, Jack... Like, if you get points and I don't,
1: that ties
0: us, right? No, it does not. So, if I get all three right... He has six, you have
1: five. If you get all three... But if you get
0: one right, that ties us.
1: Yeah.
2: Wait, I'm confused. The score is currently
1: three to five. Oh, three to five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if he gets three and you get one, you both have six. But, if he gets three and you get zero... Oh, I thought it was like a all or nothing.
0: No, no, it's not all or nothing. I, okay. I have to get at least two right to have a chance of beating you. And if you get two right, you win automatically. Two true, true facts. Okay. True facts. It, it's it, the odds are not in my favor, but you also haven't seen one of these. Yeah, move I Bryce mean, Kingdom.
2: there's possibility I could get two wrong here because I have no clue what Colin thinks of two of these.
1: <laughs> fair, fair. Oh, that's true. Oh, Jack, yeah. <laughs> Jack does kind of have a leg up here, because I've talked to him recently about yeah. one of the films that's left. Grand Budapest, I think I've talked to him a little bit about. So, we'll have to see.
0: Yeah, for those at home, we've got Moonrise Kingdom 2012, Grand Budapest Hotel 2014, and Isle of Dogs, a.k.a. one of our OG relaunch episodes, <laughs> 2018. Those are the three films we have left. One's top tier, one's mid, one's bottom. Caleb, you're in the lead. I'm going to have you go first. Uh wait, which one are we guessing? Are we doing We're doing
1: uh Grand Budapest Hotel, oh, Moonrise Kingdom? Right now? Isle of Dogs. All three, yep. Yep, yep, yep. So I'm gonna go
2: Moonrise, Bottom tier, Grand Budapest, mid tier, and Isle of Dogs top tier.
1: Okay. Let me write that down. <laughs> uh
0: you said he said Moonrise, Kingdom, Bottom. Okay. And then Grand Budapest was mid. Uh Uh-huh. And then you said Isle of Dogs was top. Okay. So,
1: oh, bot. Oh, God, Moon. Okay, got it. And you said, oh, crap. Oh, crap. What are the Isle of Dogs? Okay, got it.
0: All right, Jack, what's your turn? I mean, what's your guess? I'm going to pull a Nolan. I'm going to go full crazy mode. Full stupid, full crazy Live life on the edge. I'm going to go Grand Budapest, bottom. Oh. Ooh. Moonrise Kingdom, mid. Oh. Isle of Dogs, top. See, Ain't this all is or nothing where,
2: for me if... where my lack of knowledge of what Colin thinks of those two might defeat me. You just swapped it, and that could very likely be
0: answer oh man but 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 on the on the record i'm not confident in my answer well (laughs) i genuinely haven't heard colin talk about moonrise kingdom in years Uh, (laughs) yeah i know nothing about moonrise kingdom which is why i put it
2: so
1: low but i knew rushmore was low (laughs) fair enough hey there you go yeah (laughs) all right well are you ready for the big reveal drum roll please let's hear it you (laughs) both Got all three of them wrong. <laughs> so Caleb wins.
0: <laughs>
1: Wait, what's the ranking? Yeah, you both got all three just, wrong. So, just go
2: through the Wes Anderson rankings, like nine to one. Yeah,
1: alright, alright. I, I think that's a good that's a good thing. Here. So <laughs> upon having viewed all of his films, number nine, Rushmore. Number eight, the Royal Ten and Bombs. Number seven Isle of Dogs. Oh, whoa. Oh, whoa, indeed, my friend.
2: <laughs> I was not expecting that. I know. You were really hung up on oh, it. Oh, whoa,
1: indeed. Episode. I know. I What can I say, man? The new ones that I watched Darjeeling Limited, Life Aquatic, They and the rewind. Okay, I'll, let me keep going. Number six, Life Aquatic with Steve Zizu. Number five. Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay. And number four, Bottle Rocket. So, uh, upon rewatching and watching Grand Budapest, well, Grand Budapest was a rewatch. Life Aquatic was the first time. I would probably make the argument that the previous spots, like Isle of Dogs, was a lot higher. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. Grand Budapest rewatch, I was like, man, this is pretty fun. And then the Life Aquatic rewatch, I was like, this is better than Isle of Dogs so it, it like and then darjeeling limited like I, it just kept getting shoved further and further back uh so i kind of see what jack is saying here all right and top three number three moonrise kingdom caleb i cannot believe you have not seen this movie dude i haven't yeah it's I haven't it is good 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 okay beautiful great writing hilarious okay. just a great film uh, all together. Number two, Darjeeling Limited, and honestly, these top three uh, at any point on any given day might be flippy-flopped, but Moonrise Kingdom 3, Darjeeling DJL number two, <laughs> nice and uh, nice Fantastic everybody. Mr. Fox is sit firmly at number one. Okay. It's official. It is official. I've seen them all. I've ranked them all. Lord knows what's going to happen when we see the French Dispatch.
0: <laughs> that could change the whole list. Shout-out to Caleb. Very good match. Did well. I definitely got cocky and fudged up big time in the mid-tier, so shout-out to Caleb. I think Colin praising Fox and putting that up high. You know, I might have said earlier that I disagreed with his spin of Rushmore and Royal bombs, which honestly... On a rewatch, Colin might, might rethink that. Just, just that's, say. <laughs> that's true. I think that is one of those movies that is very much the perfect midpoint for Colin and my taste is Fantastic mm. Mr. Fox. Because Rushmore and Fox have both at one point been like my top ten, maybe even top five, all-time favorite movies. I love those films a lot. And I think I like Bombs a little bit more than Fox, just by a little bit. But for me, top three is easily Rushmore, Bomb, Fox. Those are the three best, easily.
1: Wow yeah nice. it's i i the Darjeeling ling limited really was kind of a surprise for me and maybe maybe i went into this movie thinking to myself oh man everyone really hates this i gotta be the contrary." like maybe it's like this bias that i had going into it but i don't know man i i i enjoyed it i really enjoyed well, uh, it
0: i think hate's a strong word i think it's In comparison to the aquatics, the dogs, the hotel, I think it's less of a because the average rating is three point seven, which is okay. That's higher than Serial Mom. That's higher than a lot of things. Yeah, that's a that's a high rate. That's a good rating. I, I think it's not that it's hated. It's just that amongst these nine films, there's a reason it kind of doesn't hit the certain popularity peaks that Tenenbaums or Budapest Hotel or Fox hit. If that if that makes sense. I think because it was so simple,
1: like, it's very, like, to me, it's very much like a simple film, and I, maybe my, my small, smooth brain was able to keep up with it, and that's
0: why I liked it. (laughs) I think one thing that makes it work so well is it follows Tenenbaums and Aquatics, which are very, very heavy ensemble pieces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's main players in both those films. But those are definitely ensemble films about eight-plus different characters all kind of interact with each other. Whether's the Darjeeling Limited is very much a film about three characters. They've had past relationships. They're brothers. And they're kind of on this journey. It's a spiritual journey, but they're also working out their past and working out other things going on in their lives and their relationship. So I think that contrast can definitely make it stick out in a really cool way. Because look at Fox. That's another ensemble piece that follows the Darjeeling Limited. And I think Mm. there's something about the Darjeeling Limited not being an ensemble piece that makes it stick out for better or for worse for certain Wes Anderson fans.
2: All right, Jack. Are you ready to hear
0: but I'm going to make you
2: watch. Oh, He's got I it. Let's do picked.
0: it. A, no, no wheel required, baby. <laughs> Caleb, before you do that, do you want to say any final things about Colin's ranking? That it's perfect. I do not know. I mean, here's the thing. My lack
2: of watching Moonrise, I, like, I've put off watching Moonrise, and that definitely hurt me, but I, so I don't know how I won this.
0: Because <laughs> I got cocky, boy.
2: I pulled a
1: Sebulba. I was
0: too confident.
1: Moonrise Kingdom is really good. Like, yeah. like uh, upon a rewatch with cat, well, when when we went on our Wes Anderson kick, you know, whatever it was, two or three weeks ago, I forgot how good that movie was. Mm. I really did. I'm a little surprised that it was edged out by the top two. Moonrise Kingdom definitely was top contender for my favorite Wes Anderson
0: movie for a long time. Dang. It's To, it's to put good. it in perspective, Caleb, I would rank Moonrise Kingdom... At number six, but I still think it's better than most filmmakers number one. Oh wow. Okay. Well I need to watch it. Maybe I watch
2: that one and y'all watch what I have ready for you, Jack. I'm ready. Let's <laughs> I'm throw ready. it out Let's there. Figure Let's figure it, it out. Maybe. All right, Jack. From t- from the year two thousand. Darren Aronofsky's oh, Requiem for Dream. Oh
1: crap. <laughs> I don't want to watch that, Caleb. You don't have to. I'm the one who has
0: to watch it. Good. And it's got my girl Jennifer Connelly I Let's might go. not watch but it. But, Colin,
2: this
1: is on our list for our... This our is on our, our 2000s list. 2000s <laughs> list <to> <laughs> <rank>. <laughs> Doesn't Requiem for a Dream just have a bunch of people doing the sex in it?
0: Just I like you're think thinking of Land Before Time Two, Colin, you need to make sure you do your research it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. The Land Before Time Two is about a baby T-Rex, so you know I, I'm kind of. And how did that good. baby T-Rex get there? I might ask. Right.
1: <laughs> well, well, I be dinosaur sex.
0: Oh man, Caleb has announced what I will be watching and whether or not I drag Colin on into it or not. Is to, we'll see, we'll see. But anyways, I get to pick the film for next time. Oh and I had Colin on my mind when I picked this film. Oh, thank goodness. Considering how much he hated song to song, this will probably work out. <laughs> Here's the deal. If you go back to our Teenage Moon Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze episode, there's a point where Colin basically asks us, guys, I think Secret of the Ooze is for me the film version of sweet, sweet candy. It's got practical effects, it's got so much mm. charm. Are there any movies that you would liken to that sweet candy appeal With their awesome action scenes and their choreography and their stunts and their practical effects. And at the time, I didn't really have a strong answer in mind. But then, two months after watching Secret of the Ooze, I came upon a little film that I watched and immediately thought, This is great. I have to get Colin and Caleb to watch this film. My prediction is they will like this more than Song to Song. This is a 1986 film from Hong Kong called... The Seventh Curse, directed by Lam... Uh, sorry, I forgot to put his name. Lam Nai Choi. Huh, but on Wikipedia it's... Anyways, I'll do some research on it, but it's called The Seventh Curse. And I'll tell you too this. I would not look up any plot summary details, because it spoils the batshit crazy third act of this movie. Dang. Okay. It's also okay. under 80 minutes,
1: so there you go, Colin. <laughs> I, do, I do like that. Much appreciated... On that front, for sure. <laughs>
0: so, that will be episode 29, the seventh curse. Gentlemen, what did we learn today?
1: We <laughs> learned that Jack uh, is not a good friend. He doesn't know his best friend's rankings of <laughs> popular <laughs> Wes Anderson movies. I was tipping my
0: hats and I forgot about the
1: rankings. Yeah, you did, buddy boy. Oh, well. We
2: learned that I need to stop. Picking movies in the same vein <laughs> about making movies. <laughs> yeah, but Colin did like this more than Black it's Bear. So that, it's that's true. So that's a win. That's a net pause. I did. I yeah. like
1: the I like Sinister significantly more than Black Bear. Yeah. A great deal more than Black Bear. So, yeah, you know. There we go. Maybe the
2: next one I pick you'll like even more. <laughs> maybe,
0: maybe. You know, maybe. What did I learn? I had something on my mind, but I'm struggling to remember. Oh, I learned that you gotta be careful when watching movies with Colin. He's gonna freaking put you on the couch and the freaking attic. Sub- I, 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 man, I, <laughs> Ethan
1: Hawke's gonna fall through. <laughs> Do you? I I pointed that out, and Jack was like, huh, uh, uh, uh.
0: it genuinely scared it, me. It was so
1: like it was it was pretty funny. I I I I, I laughed pretty hard at that. It was pretty great.
0: Well, we appreciate you guys for joining us for this little adventure today, and we hope to see you next time as we cover the Hong Kong action horror film, *The Seventh Curse*. Next time, I'm Jack. I'm Colin, and I'm Caleb, and we are yelling at the screen. How come you will never do any
1: fun voices when you do the outro? You might as well. <laughs> okay, let's start again. Let's do it. Let's do. All right. Go, go, Jack. You go first. I'm the protagonist. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I take it all back. All right, guys. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. I uh, got him. <laughs> <laughs> How I got my shirts and fitness back in now, then the street. One is wild, let it be. Rage is out, gotta eat. Not a bad man, by the way, down by Here we are.
0: Back to the movies.